You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. We are grateful for the Yates family reading our scripture today. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to keep Colossians chapter 2 open. If you've not been tracking with us over the past several weeks, you might identify that we're just moving verse by verse through the book of Colossians, which has been a time-honored study of the Bible, meaning all throughout church history, Christians have done this. They've moved verse by verse. And what that does is allows us to make sure Scripture is speaking and not the opinions of a pastor or someone else. We're glad that you're here today. If you're a guest, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for braving it. You know, it's interesting, COVID-19, it seems to only travel to churches, not to Home Depot. So thank you for being here today. Uh, if you are a guest with us today, I invite you to text the word GUEST to 817-339-6633. We'd love to know about you, love to connect with you, help you connect with a digital Bible study, which is our primary way of putting us in smaller groups and getting you to know folks. Again, it's an honor to have you. Well, this is Memorial Day weekend, which is a big deal. Whenever I think about this weekend, I think of Mrs. Moon, whom I had the privilege of pastoring about a dozen years ago, her husband, whom I had never had the privilege of meeting, Walter Moon, Purple Heart recipient, 1961, literally taken as a POW in Laos as he was writing her a letter, literally. The letter was not finished. And I think about men like this who reportedly come down to me as being a very brave man, a very strong Christian man. You know, it may be controversial for some generations to speak of Memorial Day, but it's because of the American military that we have religious freedom, which was a novel idea given First, Baptists came up with that idea, gave it to then-President Thomas Jefferson, and it hopefully will go around the world and allow believers, and of all stripes, not just believers, to worship the Lord. So let's begin this time of our message today with a word of prayer. Can we do that? Father in heaven, we come before you and your throne on this day to remember the courage of people who stood against evil in foreign domestic places. The uniform, Father, of our military is a reminder of the justice found in you. We know that those who are unjust and fighting wars don't wear uniforms, but you call upon us at times to resist evil because you are a holy God. And Father, I pray that your healing presence is with fathers and mothers and uncles and aunts, sisters and brothers who've lost their family members in service to such great ideas as religious freedom. Lord, you've never intended anyone to be forced into conversion for faith. You certainly desire everyone to have the right to know you in all nations. Father, may you bless us with the courage to stand against religious tyranny anywhere and everywhere. Will you give us brave men and women to boldly push back against evil dictators who seek to prevent people from having access to you and your word. For this we pray in the name of all names, the name of Jesus. Amen. When you do see a service member, please thank them for defending the right for us to assemble together. We're grateful for that. Today I want to speak to you about how to avoid the seductive trap of legalism. How to avoid the seductive trap of legalism. Keep your Bible open to Colossians chapter 2. And as you're studying God's Word with me together, you know, every one of us has a set of right and wrongs. Every one of us has a set of of right and wrongs. Do you embrace that idea? Do you think that's right? See, I you had your own set of right and wrongs. And so some people would conform to the Bible. Others of them 
Others of you may have conformed to some other standard, a set of ethics. When I think about that, I think of Winston Churchill, whom many in history said was the greatest man of the 20th century. Churchill, for his set of right and wrongs, he chooses the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. Speaking in 1941, Churchill said, the more closely, the more closely we follow the Sermon on the Mount, the more likely we are to succeed in our endeavors. End quote. Churchill thought that the Sermon on the Mount was the last word on ethics. So now, let me ask you a personal question, all right? What is your vice of choice? The Puritans, if we lived 400 years ago, would ask it this way. What is your besetting sin? What is your vice of choice? What is the one that you go back to frequently? Well, the Sermon on the Mount gives us a top 10 list. In fact, what Jesus does there, this is free. You don't have to pay any extra for this. Jesus essentially recapitulates the Sermon on the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments. If you don't know where the word recapitulates, go learn that word. Now, Sermon on the Mount, what's your, what's your vice of choice? Is it red-hot anger? Is that the one that gets you going? Or maybe it's lust that leads to adultery. He mentions that one. Or maybe it's hatred that would lead to murder or lying and thieving, which is also mentioned. Maybe you're just a redneck, southern redneck, and you love some revenge. That's your peace. Or could be divorce. He mentions that one as well. Whatever your vice of choice, I want you to pick that out. Get your number one, all right? Hold on to that for the next few moments because I want to introduce you to three different types of people. Three different types of people that come throughout time and throughout the pages of Scripture, and they will show us ways to not work with our vices. Many of us have addictions. How do I not work with those? First, let me introduce you to Paul the Pharisee. Now, in light of Facebook and his new avatar, I thought we'd have a little fun with this. This is not Paul the Pharisee who becomes the Christian. This is just a hypothetical, a, a fictional Paul the Pharisee. Now, Paul the Pharisee, have you ever met a jerk for Jesus? <laughs> you ever met a jerk for Jesus? Yeah? Maybe you had a parent that was a jerk for Jesus. Or we pastors, we meet jerks for Jesus frequently in what we do. Now, you, you've probably met someone that, well, they thought they were advancing the cause of the kingdom. Really, all they were doing is simply embarrassing the king. And there are people throughout time that are pharisaical. We're going to meet some of them in the moments to come. Now, this form of Phariseeism, they bring on extra rules. That's the key phrase there, extra rules. Mark chapter 7, verse 8. Listen to this damning, damning indictment from Jesus. You leave the commandments, you leave the commandment of God, and what do they do instead? Hold to the tradition of men. A good Pharisee will say, oh, I, I see your Bible rules, I see your Bible commands, and I raise you an extra set. See what I'm doing? That's a good thing Paul the Pharisee will often do. Now go back to Colossians 2 with me. Because I want you to see the power of this. Beginning in 16, which is what was read a moment ago, look what the Bible says here. It says, therefore. See that word? Whenever you see the word therefore, you go and see what it is. Therefore, look at you guys. I can't get anything by you. Beginning of summer. So where does this word therefore, the first word in verse 16, what does it refer back to? Let's go back to verses 14 and 15 where the Bible says this. Let's read it together. You'll find it on the screen together. This is the way I know you're awake and you're at him. You ready? Here we go. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This, Jesus set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is a powerful set here. Paul begins, how do I defeat legalism? How do I defeat Phariseeism? He's reliving, he's recalling the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what verses 14 and 15 are about. How do I defeat this? By the way, all three of these dudes, you're going to defeat them by the gospel. By defeat them by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So back in our Bible, the Bible says here, don't let, look at verse 16, do not let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. So essentially what's happening in our passage, there's been a heresy that's been introduced to a church, the ancient church of Coloss. And so what's happening here is that they've got extra rules, extra rules around food, extra rules around drink. Back in our passage, think about that with me for just a second, those things about food. You know, the Old Testament teaches there are certain foods we're to eat and certain foods we're not to eat. And this is continually a big deal even to this day. Years ago, 2008-ish, I travel overseas, one of my first international mission trips. I find myself in the city of Bangalore, India, and there I find a Muslim man. And the first thing, after he knows that I'm a pastor, a Christian pastor, the very first thing he wants to talk about, the very first question, he says, do you eat pork? I thought of all the ways to start an interfaith dialogue, you want to know if I eat pork? Well, I remember, you remember this too, Jesus said it's not what you put in your mouth that makes you clean, but what? What comes from your heart? Jesus also said to us, actually this was a vision that Peter received. Remember the sheet that came down there in the book of Acts? And he had all kinds of food that was accessible to him. Peter resisted, right? Can somebody say the word bacon to the glory of God? Bacon, amen. Every man would love that piece right there. See, Jesus in his death and resurrection did more than just forgive your sins. The Bible says in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, he canceled a legal record. He, he, look at this, look back at verse 15 and 16. He triumphed over evil. He disarmed rulers and he removed legal demands. In fact, what we see here is a certain set of food that was eaten. The second piece that they're saying are special days. You'll find that in verses 16 and following, these special days. So here it came to a crowd of believers who were not Jewish background believers, and said, oh, no, 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 no. If you really want to be right with Jesus, you've got to keep these special days. Out of the Old Testament, they were to keep Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And you see this is a big deal when you read your New Testament. The book of Romans, the book of Corinthians, as well as the book of Colossians. There's an internal battle. There's a group of people that really want to have a group that says, this is only these foods you should you eat. You can only be a part of us if you keep these holidays. But verse 17 says, these are a shadow of things to come. Now, here I am standing in front of you, and probably there's a shadow of me somewhere on this platform. A shadow is a temporary thing, and a shadow is not as good as the real thing, right? Your shadow, my shadow, and the shadow... Jesus is teaching us here through Paul is a temporary piece. See, God had a plan from the beginning. He had chosen one race of people, the Jewish people, and those race of people were to be priests. That is, they were to be believers to live in such a way as to make God attractive to others. But at the time of Jesus Christ, the rules, the holidays, the foods, those are temporary things. 
And now God's people are not one race of people. Can somebody give me a witness? They're all races of people. In fact, at the end of all time, the Bible says all tribes, all tongues, all races, all ethnicities will appear before him in worship. Won't that be a great vision? Well, amen. You know, I'm going to do my part and your part. I'm going to amen my sermon. These are a temporary thing. They're a shadow, and they are to move away. And the Bible says, look back at Colossians 2, you are to not let anyone pass judgment on you in these questions. So if someone comes to you and says, you've got to keep the Bible's rules plus these rules, you are to resist that. You are to push back on that. That's an important thing. You know, when I think about Paul the Pharisee or any Pharisee, you don't have to be religious to be a Pharisee. What you're about to see is a, a mother-in-law, future mother-in-law, as this picture was taken about 10 years ago. Her name is Carolyn. Now, her daughter Heidi had come with her fiancé to live, not live, but stay for a weekend or so with Carolyn. Carolyn is not just a mother-in-law, future mother-in-law. She is what the British tabloids called a monster-in-law. You say, why would you say that about sweet Carolyn there? Well, let me read to you a letter that she wrote to her future daughter-in-law, Heidi. It's high time someone explained to you about good manners. Yours are obvious by their absence, and I feel sorry for you. Unfortunately for Freddie, he has fallen in love with you. And Freddie being Freddie, I gather it's not easy to reason with him or yet to encourage him to consider how he might be able to help you. Your behavior on your visit here during April was staggering in its uncouthness and lack of grace. Hmm, gets better. Unfortunately, this is not the first example of bad manners I've experienced from you. If you want to be accepted by the wider born family, I suggest you take some guidance from experts with utmost haste. And then she gives us, she gives us some good guidance. For Freddie's sake and your future involvement with our family, here are some examples of your lack of manners. When you're a guest in another person's house, you do not declare what you will eat and what you will not eat unless you're positively allergic to certain foods. You do not remark that you do not have enough food. You are not to start before everyone else in eating. You are to not take additional helpings without being invited to do so by your host. When a guest in another person's house, you do not lie in bed late in the morning in households that rise early. You fall in line with the house's norms. And you should never pass an insult as a joke about your host family. You should have written a thank you note to me, and I've yet to receive one, and you regularly draw attention to yourself. You must ask yourself why. Well, how many people want to marry this, <laughs> marry this woman's daughter? You know, let me pause here and just say, my mother's tried to teach me that, and what she failed to do, my wife's tried to pick up the slack there. Everything <laughs> that she's saying is so much true, but it's extra rules. It's not Bible rules. And by the way, Miss Carolyn here forgot some things that the British tabloids picked up on. She'd been married three times before. She had a previous live-in stint with an older man whom she had a child with, an out-of-wedlock child. She called all this her colorful past. She failed to bring that up with Heidi, her daughter-in-law, future daughter-in-law. You see, what was the tone behind this? Did you get it? Condescending. I'm better than you. Paul the Pharisee will always bring extra commands, and he will make a church, if you let him in charge of it, here's the first-class Christians, and here's the cattle call Christians, right? Here's the first-class seats and everybody else. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 6, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's going to mention the Sadducees, which we'll see in a moment, but beware of these 
legalists, these Pharisees. Who are these individuals? Well, they are people who have a head full of Scripture, but a heart full of sin. They can quote Scripture. They can cross every T and dot every I, but they cannot spell the word L-O-V-E, love. In fact, did you see the command that was given in verse 21, an example of asceticism where the Bible says, he's quoting the other party here, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This is extra rules. And you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful with someone like Paul the Pharisee. But let me introduce you to a second person. Let me introduce you to a second person. Remember, you've got your vice up here. You have it picked out. If you're struggling with it, if you're married, ask your spouse. They know it immediately. Your vice of choice. Not only Paul the Pharisee, but self-righteous Sammy. Self-righteous Sammy. Now, self-righteous Sammy is a little bit like Paul the Pharisee, but here's what happens. Self-righteous Sammy, he may not have extra rules. He may just have the biblical commandments like Jesus has spoken about, but his way of saying, you got to do these by willpower. you got to do these by your own power. you got to do this of your own mechanism. In fact, legalism is keeping the biblical commands by your own power in order to earn God's favor. Let me say that again. Legalism, while the word's not mentioned in the New Testament, it's a big deal. Legalism is keeping God's commands by your own power in order to earn God's favor. And you see this in Colossians 2, verse 23, this form of legalism. I want to just stop here at these last words, but let's pick it up in the beginning. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. Stop on that word. There's a lot of false religions in America. You need to ask yourself, if the one I'm involved in, is it self-made or is it God-given? Self-made religion, asceticism, asceticism and severity of the body. But look at this. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Yesterday, uh, my kids and I were in my Suburban. Suburbans are big vehicles, right? And we were teaching my 16-year-old son that at 25 and 30 miles an hour, that vehicle takes a lot of power to stop all that weight, even at that low speed. Imagine the damage it could do at 70, 70, 80 miles an hour. So a vehicle like that's got to have a lot of stopping power. And with your sinful nature, your vice of choice, you've got it in your mind, right? I'm going to ask you to shout it out here in just a minute. Do you have the stopping power? Self-made religion, willpower cannot stop your addiction. In fact, if you can stop your addiction by willpower, here's what happens. You replace your addiction with a greater sin. If you arrive at goodness by your power, there's one latent sin out there, a little word called P-R-I-D-E, pride. You end up being arrogant. I love the way Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, you're saved by grace through faith. This is not of your own doing, so that no one can boast. Imagine if heaven were full of self-righteous Sammies. We all got there by our good works. Can you imagine how arrogant, you know, glory and Main Street would be, just how those guys would be out there just talking about how great they were, how they got here and all that they did? We had a saying in the 1980s, gag me with a spoon. I think that's a great example of that. The truth is, you cannot be good without God's help. Did you know that? You cannot be good without God's help. You need God's help, and moral behavior that does not grow out of faith is legalism. 
Moral behavior, good behavior that does not grow out of faith is legalism because a legalist is a self-reliant moral person. In fact, if you become a legalist, if you become a good person based on your own power, one day, listen to the warning of Jesus, one day you'll be the very most best person in hell. You'll be the nicest, you'll be the nicest, most moral person in hell. You need God's power to be good. And that's why the Holy Spirit comes to you at your moment of conversion. If you're watching online, the Bible teaches at the moment you embrace Christ by faith, and that would be my desire for you today, not to be a self-righteous Sammy, but for you to embrace Christ by faith. And when you do that, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes and he resides in you. He resides in you. And now you have a power that's a supernatural power and is a sin-killing power. I'm going to amen that. It's a sin-killing power. In fact, a prophet by the name of Ezekiel, years before, he said these words in verse 27 of Ezekiel 37. Look what it says. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. So the Bible here predicts hundreds of years before Jesus is crucified that the Spirit of God will come inside of us and the words of the commandments are written on our hearts so that not only are we doing God's commands, but we want to do God's commands. So I got to thinking about this this week, and I thought, Scott, this is kind of theoretical. This is sort of ethereal. You need to help them with this a little bit. And I came up with an example. I don't know where this came from, 10th grade biology. Mr. Morris, if you're watching this, I did pay attention one day in 10th grade biology. Mr. Morris tried to teach us about the cell. You know about the cell, right? All the things that are in the cell. Well, I had to go to Google to remember that. I apologize, Mr. Morris. Among the things there was the cell membrane. There was the Golgi apparatus. hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. The nucleus, among other things. But do you remember, I know you do. Don't, don't answer it because you don't want to be self-righteous, Sammy. Do you remember what powers the human cell? is the mitochondria. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. In fact, if the mitochondria, if I understand this correctly, quits working, the cell dies. The moment that there's a problem with the mitochondria, the powerhouse of the cell, it can trigger a cell's death. And if I read correctly this week, things like diabetes, heart disease, and tumors can be traced, traced back to the dysfunction of the mitochondria. Pastor, what the heck are you talking about? Listen, look, lean in and pay attention. The Holy Spirit is the mitochondria to energize you to do the right thing. You know what should be said of American evangelicals? They're some of the best people walking any place because we've got this power plant, power plant to do good and care and be compassionate. Why else does he call it the fruit of the Spirit? That grows because we're walking in Jesus Christ. Friend, you need to avoid the self-righteous Sammies. You need to avoid the Paul the Pharisees. But one more and last one, you need to avoid the liberal Larrys. The liberal Larrys. You remember what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6? Look what he says again. Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I want you to pay attention here because this is crucial. Satan is tricky. He is so tricky. This is what he'll do. If he can get you to become a Pharisee, a fundamentalist, angry fundamentalist on that side, if you say, no, I'm not going to do that, he will then get you to be the opposite error. You know, if you're going to bowl properly, 
you're going to keep it out of the right gutter and the left gutter, and you're going to keep it down the middle. Oh, I don't know what that's called, fairway, whatever that looks like. You know what I'm talking about, even though I don't know what I'm talking about. Liberal Larry is just as bad as Paul the Pharisee. How do we see that? Well, go back to Colossians chapter 2. The Bible says this. There's a problem when we're not holding fast to the head. Colossians chapter 2, verse 19. Not holding fast to the head. That's how I prevent myself from becoming a Larry the liberal. And who's the Sadducees? The Sadducees were a group of people that teamed up with the Pharisees to crucify Jesus. The Pharisees would have been your average, ordinary, church-going person. Your Sadducees, if you remember, were Sadducees. Remember your Sunday school back in the day? All right, got a few smiles there, right? They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the afterlife. And they rejected most of the Old Testament except for the first five books. You know what we call those Sadducees today? Liberals. Liberals. That's what they are. They're liberals. And this is the biggest problem in America today. The biggest problem in America today is not self-righteousness. We've got that problem. Not even legalists of Pharisees. Here's our biggest issue. Satan has come along and told the church and told you and me that it's no big deal. A liberal believes there's no truth. There's no truth. You know how you defeat liberals and self-righteous? I'm not talking about out there. I'm talking about in you. Do you know how you defeat, defeat liberals and self-righteous and being a Pharisee? You always run back to the gospel. You always run back to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to continually hold fast to the head. That's what Jesus is teaching here in Colossians chapter 2. A liberal says there's no one truth. We can all get along because there's no truth. We can all get to God. And this is the denial of Jesus himself. Think about this with me for just a second. If everybody can get to God, if everybody can get to God without Jesus, what the heck was God doing sending Jesus to be crucified? Talk about a complete waste of pain and suffering. If I can get to God outside of Jesus, what in the world was the Trinity thinking sending Jesus to suffer all that? Must have been a necessity, wouldn't you agree? You've got to avoid liberal Larry. You've got to avoid self-righteous Sammy. And you've got to avoid Paul the Pharisee. Those three people are not going to just be people you meet. You're going to find yourself some days waking up to be an accidental Pharisee, an accidental Sadducee, and an accidental liberal. And you've got to always run back to Jesus and his death on the cross. If you're having trouble with sin, anybody in here having trouble with sin? A bunch of liars on this Sunday. <laughs> Let's see those hands up. Anybody in this room having trouble with sin? Right, we all are. Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, is the bolt cutters to cut the addiction to sin. If you defeat your chemical addictions, if you defeat your whatever addictions without Jesus, friend, you need the power of Jesus. You know what Jesus can do? He can make a bad man good, and he can make a good man better. If your religion doesn't make you a better person, you better get another religion. Jesus can make a bad woman a good woman, and Jesus can make a good woman a better woman. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.